Father God, thank you for gathering us today and for the great blessing of having your word set before us, your word of truth, your word of righteousness, your word of of power and grace. So thank you, Father, for that. And uh, Father, I just pray that you'd bless us as we open it today. And certainly we feel uh, a a lack uh, in our spirits, not having some with us that normally are here. So, Father, I just pray that you'd watch over them as they're apart from us today. And, Father, as we open your word, uh, we have in mind also our nation and its great divisions, which are so many. And yet, Father, that has been true often in our nation's history, and yet you have often brought us back from the brink of destruction. I pray, Father, that you would do that again. Please give our president and those that serve with him honorably uh, great encouragement, energy, understanding, wisdom, and victory as uh, many forces of evil are arrayed against them. So, Father, we just pray that the evil one would be destroyed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're really within only a few lessons of being at the end of uh, this whole series. I mean, today we're going to finish our studies in the Millennial Kingdom, except for one part, which I've left till last, which has to do with the land promises uh, that that God made uh, to for his people. The land promises we leave till last. We could have done that first in our considerations of the kingdom, but um, I left it for last. And so, Lord willing, we'll be looking at that next time. And then all that remains in the whole plan of God, as Scripture reveals it, is the the, um, the final uh, period after Satan's final rebellion has occurred and as he is defeated. We'll look at that next time quickly, but as he's defeated finally, and all of those that are aligned with him, right at the end of the 1,000-year millennial kingdom, then we'll see uh, the uh, the ongoing uh, condition there, which will be, of course, with righteousness reigning in a full sense, finally, on <clears throat> this earth. And uh, the evil will have been banished once and for all, along with other things that came with it, such as uh, death, rebellion, judgment, uh, all of that will be set aside once and for all. In the Millennial Kingdom, some of those things are uh, actually occurring, but not all. There will still be death in the kingdom, uh, even though Satan and his uh, forces will be banished into the bottomless pit. Um, But they will be released at the end of the kingdom and will lead a great, great rebellion. So God will eventually be totally victorious uh, at uh, the appointed time. And all those promises that have been given will be completely fulfilled. But We do not live in the uh, conditions uh, that the kingdom will bring today. Uh, 
we're in a kingdom, as we've said before, but not this kingdom. It's not the kingdom of God that was prophesied for God's people, the Jews. That should be pretty obvious, but but because all nearly are mistaught, especially uh, this has been the case down to the uh, centuries, then in the last hundred years or so, certainly rightly dividing the word has has been on the rebound, at least for some of that time. Now, of course, not on the rebound anymore, it seems. But uh, many uh, need teaching in this regard, need to compare Scripture with Scripture, need to learn how to rightly divide. That's what we're learning here as we open God's Word. We're learning it better, I hope, each time we share together. Okay, um, there's a Scripture I wanted to start out with. We looked at it last time. So, And there's several others also we looked at uh, last time, which... In a, just a f- small number of words, well characterize uh, what God will do when he establishes his kingdom. And I'll just read a couple of them now. Um, the first was in Genesis 49. As Jacob is on his deathbed, he prophesies concerning his sons. And uh, one of them uh, is named Judah. And uh, this is what Jacob says in chapter 49 of Genesis, verse 10. And he uses some words here that become key words in prophecy as the Bible develops uh, over the centuries. So, first of all, this verse says, The scepter, scepter, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until... Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So there you see the scepter indicating complete and total absolute law, right? Um, As a king, of course, would have over a nation, right? So the scepter. Then you have the lawgiver mentioned. The lawgiver, again, it would be the king, right? The lawgiver and the law enforcer. But it also says... Uh, something about the regathering of his people, because, of course, um, down through Israel's history, there would be a continual rebellion and God would bring judgment against them so that they would need to be regathered. He would preserve them, but eventually to fulfill these kingdom promises, God will have to regather his people. So that's all there just in those few words there in Genesis 49, and it does certainly nicely set the stage for everything else revealed in Scripture regarding the coming kingdom. Then we have Balaam's prophecy. Remember the prophet Balaam, recorded in Numbers chapter 24. I'm just going to read two verses, verse 17 and verse 19. Verse 17, I shall see him but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. And he lists other nations that will be destroyed eventually, who were uh, Israel's (laughs) common enemies over many centuries, Edom, Seir, and so forth. Then he says in verse 19, Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion 
and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. Uh, so this will be a physical destruction uh, <clears throat> by Messiah, who is the seed of the woman, as we know so well, right? And uh, this destruction is physical. It will be on this earth. It will be a destruction of God's enemies. So today we see God's enemies abounding. Sometimes it seems to us they're abounding out of control, really, over the forces of righteousness, over believers and so forth. But at that time, when when uh, the kingdom is established, these these enemies will be defeated, and it will be Messiah, the seed of the woman, the king, who will come to this earth and establish his kingdom. That will be the source of that victory, right? We don't see that today. <clears throat> we see spiritual victories uh, here and there, certainly, right? And, and they are great indeed and marvelous under God's working of grace, but we do not see the kingdom established today on this earth. Nothing like it has ever existed here on this earth, but at that time it will. Now, you remember Hannah uh, sang a song of praise, and uh, that's in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'll just read one verse. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the corn, horn of his anointed. So, again, coming judgment. Uh, the kingdom cannot be established without a judgment that's worldwide on the enemies of God. And the reason is, when the kingdom starts out, when it begins, when Christ establishes that kingdom on this earth, there will be no unbelievers uh, allowed there, at least not at the beginning of that kingdom. We've seen that from our studies of Scripture already. Okay, so with all of that kind of prophecy well in mind, the believers during the first century, they had a hope that finally God might establish that kingdom, right? Even though the seed of the woman had not come. So their hope was for him, right, that he would. And so when Mary was given this great prophecy, remember that prophecy recorded in Luke chapter 1? We often read that uh, a certain time of the year, right, <laughs> uh, in December. Um, Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there should be no end. So even there, right, as again the promise concerning coming Messiah is given, you see judgment implied. And you see that there will be a king, he's going to reign uh, from a throne, and that implies uh, um Judgment, really, uh, will be executed. Great judgment at the beginning of the kingdom and then continuing on when needed throughout the kingdom. Now, as we've said before, and I'll restate this now, 
for us who divide the word rightly, it's inconceivable that these specific and detailed promises could ever be fulfilled other than literally, right? And of course, it's a literal fulfillment that's expected. That's what Mary expected when that promise was given to her. Yeah, same is true for for David, for Hannah, for uh, uh, Jacob's sons, and so forth, right? They expected the literal fulfillment because there wasn't any other way they could understand such language, right? Uh, that's the only possibility. So later on, of course, when these things didn't happen, when people expected them or hoped they would, then uh, you ended up with what's been called allegorical interpretation of Scripture. Catholic Church actually believes that they are the kingdom <laughs> that's been prophesied uh, for Israel. They take it for themselves, right? They steal it away from God's people and so that's the situation we're in today with so many, even Protestants, holding to that kind of uh, approach to Scripture called allegorical, or they call it spiritual. It's not spiritual at all. It's carnal. Okay. Last time we saw how those Scriptures and others that we looked at, how they all point forward, therefore, to Israel's coming earthly kingdom hope, right? And so we saw its rekindling because there was a time when the nation was either about to be carried off into captivity or was in captivity and would need um, to be recovered re re and brought back into the land of promise for these promises ever to be fulfilled, right? So uh, their kingdom hope was rekindled by great prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah. Uh, finally, when our Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation came into this world, uh, the people of God were prepared by having prophecy given again, right, through archangels and then through John and, and so forth, right? Uh, then we saw that the, this kingdom was offered. It was offered through Peter and Stephen after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. Then finally, Scripture indicates that this kingdom will be received by faith, right, by the elect remnant of Israel at the end of the tribulation period. And that's especially recorded for us in Zechariah and then in John's great book, the last book in our Bible, the book of Revelation. So what we have come to here as we reach sort of the end of this long study is that we see many dispensational distinctives and the dispensational distinctives of the millennial kingdom are great. I want us to see a little bit more about those distinctives today. So we'll be focused in on this uh, final dispensation, the dispensation of the millennial kingdom, and how distinct it is compared to every other dispensation. It's especially distinct because it will be ruled by a king that is perfect. No other kingdom has had a perfect king, and therefore you have had issues in all of those earthly kingdoms, right? And they eventually, 
fell into ruin and were destroyed by others that, that rose up in in strength and power and victory against them, right? Every kingdom that has come before has been ultimately uh, destroyed, finally, in the plan of God. None of them had a perfect king to rule them. None of them had perfect uh, prophetic scriptures to live by. And uh, none of them have had a, a work of God that was appropriate for sinners that could actually have delivered them from the consequences of their sin at all, right? So those were earthly kingdoms ruled by uh, sinners, uh, and uh, the people themselves had no power really to bring forth any kind of a perfect government. Um, there have been some exceptions to a degree, such as our own nation, right, which is uh, certainly a, a place where God has... Uh, especially blessed, but never has there been a perfect kingdom before with a perfect king and with the work of God that would have delivered sinners from their sin. But that's what the coming kingdom will have as its essence, really. The very essence of that kingdom will be just that. So what I want us to see now today as we focus on the life of the kingdom, I, I want us to see how the very life of this coming earthly kingdom was implied by the prophets and then was fully revealed by the prophets. So really there's little left to be revealed. Uh, it's all there, right? And we're going to end up looking at Isaiah chapter 65, which is the greatest revelation in the entire Bible about what the coming kingdom will be like for those living within it. It's surely going to be... a <laughs> a remarkable place indeed. After all, it would would be so great. It would have to be so great if, if the king ruling was, in fact, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if the kingdom law was the law given by him, right? If the dynamic, the spiritual dynamic of the kingdom were the Holy Spirit uh, writing that law in the hearts of 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 those who live there, that would be a most wonderful thing, right? If any failure to keep that law perfectly due to sin, which still will remain, were dealt with uh, in a sacrificial system, uh, as we've already studied, then that would be a most marvelous thing, right? So this coming kingdom will be so different, and the lives of those living in it will be so different than what has happened before. Okay, so Patty, can you start out? Uh, let's just see how in the very uh, prophecies given regarding this kingdom, there's a very clear uh, pointer to what the life in that kingdom will be actually like, and we'll see how different that is from where we live today. So Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 and 19. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Thank you. So <clears throat> there are several things here. We looked at this last time. <clears throat> um, there will be a prophet who actually has the words of God in his 
mouth. Okay. Now, Israel's prophets often were consumed by wine and idolatries. They did not have the word of God in their mouth, except a few who were truly uh, the instruments of the working of God, right? And we have those words recorded in the Bible. But all those other prophets, the great majority of them, were sinners, were consumed by their own sin, and they didn't speak the words of God at all. They spoke their own, right? And uh, therefore, the people had no clear guide as to even what God required of them, right? Their obedience to those prophets would only lead them astray. So the big issue throughout all those centuries was, is someone speaking the word of God, and should we obey that word, or should we cleave to another, right? And it was very difficult for them to know uh, which prophets were true, which ones were false, even though they were given a clear guide, which is that if the words that the prophet spoke did not come to pass, uh, or, or it was clearly proven to be false, then that prophet was to be stoned, right? <laughs> and certainly not obeyed, right? Um, so there's a very big difference between the law of the coming kingdom and the Mosaic law, in that respect, because there'll be a prophet who doesn't lie, and every word he speaks will represent the will and purpose of his, his heavenly father. That will be the son of God himself, right, doing the prophecy. Okay, so that's a clear distinction between the Mosaic kingdom and the coming kingdom. It's certainly a clear distinction with where we are today. We do not have any prophets today speaking uh, the word of God. Okay. Then in, in Jeremiah 31, we'll see that the whole, the whole environment of the coming kingdom will be different, uh, because he says there's a new covenant, which I will make. And, uh, it's going to be quite incredibly distinctive from anything that's ever gone before. He says in verse 33 of Jeremiah 31, this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, days saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. This is talking about the whole nation of Israel, not just a person here or there who's believed the gospel situation we're in today, right? This is the entire nation of Israel at the beginning when this new covenant is established. So this great millennial work of God will be uh, so different from anything that has ever gone before. Only believers will be present. And uh, as the kingdom develops, there'll be a mix of believers and unbelievers. And then there'll be a need for the law of the kingdom that has been spoken by the king and is now being executed for that to be enforced there will be swift judgment broad against those that are clearly not believers. And uh, you can read about that in Zechariah chapter 8 and chapter 5 of Zechariah. There's a flying scroll there in Zechariah 5 that goes about and destroys unbelievers from out of the midst uh, when they manifest for their sin and rebellion. So, a distinctive of this coming kingdom is that absolute obedience 
to the law of the kingdom will be required. Now, there will be failures, as we've talked about that already, failures in, in the heart, for example, where people still have a sin nature, even though the law will be written there, they'll still have a sin nature, there'll still be the possibility of uh, failure under the high uh, requirements that the law will impose. And the sacrificial system is given for that purpose, as you know. Um, okay. Um, so, Linda, I'd like you to read for us. Uh, in Zechariah 6, we see that one major difference between any other kingdom and this coming kingdom is that in one person, we're going to have all these different offices of prophet, priest, and king. In fact, that's absolutely required because otherwise, uh, if we didn't have that kind of a perfect prophet, a perfect priest, and a perfect king, we would have failure at the very top <laughs> of the authority structure, and that would certainly be communicated down the line. So the coming kingdom will be... Uh, uh, quite a distinctive and different place indeed as a result of this prophet, priest, and king God will raise up. So, Linda, please read uh, Zechariah 6, just, just verses 12 and 13. And speaketh unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold a man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Okay, so <clears throat> there will be a throne. The one who sits on the throne is actually going to be also a priest. And what we've seen before is that he's going to speak forth the word of God, so he'll also be a prophet. So a perfect prophet, a perfect priest, and a perfect king all in one person. And that's going to make the whole nature of living under that kingdom rule so different from anything that's ever happened before. The believer will know who the prophet is and will hear his word and we'll have that word then written in his heart, and we'll want to obey it. And uh, you'll see uh, all of that lead to much practical righteousness. It will be the theme of the kingdom, the righteousness of God displayed on the people of God. And uh, that is uh, very, very distinctive. So even these pro prophecies that point forward to the coming of the kingdom uh, are rather specific when it comes to the nature of life in that kingdom. It's going to be a life of, and I can't repeat this enough, I guess, absolute authoritarian law, but the law is going to be the law of God given through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, right, as Messiah, and he will rule with the rod of iron. That doesn't mean he's going to be beating up believers. In fact, they're going to be living in a righteous realm, right? Uh, unbelievers will not be, and they shall be, 
treated very, very harshly in that kingdom. So throughout the kingdom, you have the law being executed. It's being upheld largely by believers, but uh, unbelievers will be judged for their disobedience, right? By the king who wields the scepter and the sword. And I think that's something that we, we, we just don't spend enough time thinking about. Most people today who name the name of Christ think that the, the coming kingdom is going to be heaven. <laughs> You're going to be living there. Uh, it's going to be peace, tranquility. Every need will be met. You'll be walking on streets of gold. There'll be no enemies. Uh, what, a, what a life, just like uh, we think heaven will be, right? Without the law being imposed, <laughs> without judgment taking place around about us, or any of that, right? Without the sacrificial system. So what scripture reveals about the coming kingdom is quite different than the common view, not based upon studying scripture carefully, but just uh, assuming that prophecies were to be interpreted in somehow a spiritual and not a literal way, right? Um, <clears throat> now, you could look at all these prophecies relating to the coming of Messiah and see there's, there's two aspects usually given. One is the Redeemer comes, but the other one is that he rules with a rod of iron and defeats his enemies. The two go together. You can't have just the one. As long as the earth is filled with sinful individuals, there will be rebellion uh, developed, right? And judgment will have to be carried out if that period of time will be characterized by righteousness, right? Otherwise, it will be unrighteousness. So there you are. And I'm going to read from Isaiah 9 because this is a, this is a scripture we all know well. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So you see that the judgment will go right along with Christ sitting on that throne as Israel's redeemer, right? The judgment will be manifested against sinners. That's something that we have to keep in mind. So different from what we see today. Today, unrighteousness reigns in governments. What can be clearer than what we see day by day, right? Now, you can read in Isaiah 22, where there is a great statement concerning the coming kingdom. Same there. Uh, the Redeemer will come, but uh, he will also be the judge, right? Psalm 2, Psalm 110, uh, similarly there. Um, Patty, can you read from Jeremiah uh, 23? We'll see it again there, Jeremiah 23. Verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and the king shall reign and prosper. 
and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. Okay, so again, this king's going to reign. He's going to execute judgment and justice in the earth, right? Uh, and Judah will be saved and will live in peace because their enemies will be destroyed at the beginning of the kingdom. And then as new enemies develop during the kingdom, they will ultimately be destroyed as well. And the name, it says, of the one uh, ruling there will be the Lord, our righteousness. Now, there are practical consequences of this for those who are living in the kingdom the believers previously in history, and we're talking about Jews because this is all about them, it used to be, <laughs> Scripture indicates, and it was always true until finally the kingdom is established, but they would plant their seed and never know if they would harvest it or others would come and steal the harvest, right? And many times they would plant but never be the recipients of the bounty of the land, right? Uh, they would build their homes, but never know how long they'd keep them. The enemy would swoop down and steal away what they had built, right? But it's going to be entirely different in the kingdom. The kingdom will not be like that at all. And let's read about that now. And this is really uh, the greatest statement here in the Isaiah chapter 65, the greatest statement of what life in the kingdom will actually be like. And it's going to be a, <laughs> what, a beautiful place? Yes, indeed. Uh, but when I say beauty, I'm not thinking about sunrises and sunsets so much as uh, the the nature of the life of the believer at that time will be overwhelmed by the blessings of God, even physically, even physically. And it'll be so clear to all. So let's see. Let's start out. Um, Linda, please read for us Isaiah chapter 65, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 8 through 10. I am sought of, those, of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. And I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good, after their own thoughts, a people that provoketh me to anger continuously to my face. They sacrifice in the gardens, and burneth incense upon the altars of brick and remain among the graves lodged in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh and, and broth of abominable things in their vessels. Now verses 8, 9, and 10 will show the contrast. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah, an inheritance of my mountains. And mine elect shall inherit it, 
and my servants shall dwell there, and Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Ankar a place for the herds to lie down for my people that have sought me. Thank you, Linda. So when the kingdom is established, it will affect the way of life of everyone in it, right, dramatically. It will be such a change from what has gone on through those previous 6,000 years of human history. Um, Patty, would you read verses 16 through 21, please? That he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hid from mine eyes. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. Amen. So <laughs> they're going to see the fruit of their labors finally. The production and the glory of it will be enjoyed, and God will wipe away every tear. So um, I'll continue here, verse 22. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the Lord, of, of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. Even the nature of animals will be changed. The carnivores will be no longer carnivores, and the serpents will be no longer uh, seeking to destroy uh, the children of mankind, right? So what a change, new heavens and new earth. So the kingdom of of the heavens that will come to this earth will not be at all, as many are expecting today, who think that somehow it's going to be simply heaven on earth. It's going to be a very earthly-oriented realm indeed, with a king, with a kingdom, with law, absolute kingdom law, right? given by Messiah, uh, with that law written on the hearts of believers and unbelievers in rebellion and judged dramatically. 
and destructively uh, when they manifest themselves, right? And uh, it's quite clear that the economy will be very rural in nature, and uh, every need will be met, physically speaking. Healing will be abundant, right? Uh, Living the entire length of the kingdom will not be unusual. Uh, What a difference from today. Satan and his servants will be bound and have no part of that coming kingdom, right? So this this coming rule uh, on this earth is so dramatically uh, different from what we see today. We're living under grace today, not under the law, but under grace, right? And uh, Paul, in his descriptions of that liberty that we have in Christ, are so different from Isaiah's descriptions of what uh, Israel will experience. And the elect nations, too. There will be many Gentiles saved us, too, as well in that kingdom who will uh, be coming to Jerusalem for their education, you know. But uh, Paul's descriptions for today under grace are so different. He keeps saying you're not under the law, but under grace. But that doesn't mean you uh, fulfill the desires of the flesh. Rather, you walk by the Spirit. Rather, you enjoy the newness of resurrection life, right? Um, And uh, he writes of that in many places. And uh, one of them... uh, I love very much is in Romans chapter 6. He says uh, in verses uh, in verse 14, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Right? And we have a great uh, empowerment, the resurrected Christ, his new life, and enjoy him fully day by day and hour by hour. Uh, yes, our bodies still decay. We still find ourselves uh, subject to their uh, continual <laughs> degradation. They ultimately uh, give up our lives due to the effects of sin in our bodies, right? Uh, we have many issues in life. Persecution is abounding. Uh, our governments are evil. Uh, we plant and don't and don't reap. Uh, others steal it. Uh, all these things still occur today, but uh, we do have the joy of the Lord and uh, rejoice in the abundance of His grace. But someday, Israel will see God fulfilling every promise that has ever been made to them, and uh, praise the Lord for that. That won't happen until we're captured uh, up into heaven's glory. That could be today. I hope you're looking forward to that. Uh, I am. And uh, are we listening carefully for the shout, the call, the voice to call us on high? I hope we are. Those that love his appearing shall receive what? A crown of righteousness. Amen and amen. Well, are there any questions or comments? I think we've we've finished our studies here in the kingdom and we're ready to go on to that final 
final piece I mentioned, which is that for all this to occur, there has to be a promised land given to God's people. And uh, that has not happened, but it will happen someday. Israel exists as a nation occupying a very small portion of that promised land today, but they hardly <laughs> possess it. The enemies would love to steal it away from them, wouldn't they? And they try every day. But someday, God will fulfill his promises of the land completely. We'll look at that next time, Lord willing. Any final comments before we uh, go to the Lord in prayer? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us here with your word open, uh, comparing scripture with scripture. Thank you for giving us understanding. And uh, Father, thank you that throughout all these centuries, even these millennia, nearly six at this point, since the creation, you have been revealing what's in the heart of man and what's in your heart, quite to the contrary, what's in the heart of your chief enemy, Satan, and all those that follow after him, and what's in your heart and part of your will and plan for him and also for sinners, but also gloriously. For your people. So, Father, thank you so much for encouraging us with your word that we can trust you fully to accomplish it is most, most blessed. And we thank you in Christ.